0: the arthropod the arthropod is the home for the wonderful weird wacky world of insects hosted by jonathan larson jody green and michael Scavarla. welcome back
1: to arthropod your entomology podcast i am but one of your hosts for today Jonathan Larson of the University of Kentucky.
2: I'm another one of your hosts. I'm Jody Green from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. And I'm the last
0: host today, Michael Scavarla with Penn State University.
1: And today we're very excited. We're going to dive into some holiday folklore. We are celebrating here on Arthropod. We did our spooktacular not too long ago. Now you may hear sleigh bells jingling. uh, And we're going to be moving into various sort of Christmassy folklore. Uh, If you celebrate the season, happy holidays. Whatever it is that you celebrate, we we uh, encourage you to be as happy as possible during that. Mike, you are a Yule celebrator, if I remember correctly.
0: I am the Yule tide.
1: <laughs> you have I... several
0: logs in your home. I do have many logs in the house, but we we have a fireplace. (laughs) We're all prepped for for Christmas stuff, but now I'm wondering if there's any Hanukkah traditions that revolve around insects. I tried poking
1: around a bit, and I didn't see anything in my cursorial glances. But, I mean, you know, it's the internet. I didn't dive super deep. So if there are Hanukkah or Kwanzaa or anything else sort of traditions that fall into the holiday season with bugs of some sort, arthropods of any stripe, we would love to hear about them. And you can always shoot us a line uh, on Twitter or at our institutional emails, which people have found and emailed us through as well.
0: Not too hard to find those, to be fair.
1: No, we are terminally online as extension professionals. But we're going to talk a little bit about Christmas trees today and the insects that they can bring in. Uh, We each get calls about that at this time of year, so we wanted to chat about that. And then I found a couple of different folklore tales that I thought would be interesting to share with the listeners and for us to dissect as entomologists, but before we do that, it's been a hot minute since we've all three been on the show together. It's been wasn't, about a month. It wasn't
2: our flop tacular.
1: Our flop tacular. Yes, we uh, we did have a, a flop that we're going to try and rectify this month if I can get the technology wrangled. Uh, I'm going to talk with another podcaster about that here soon. But uh, yeah, ever since then, uh, Jody came to town to Kentucky, and we did uh, Parisian bed bugs together. And released that just a few short weeks ago. We uh, we oui, 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 yeah. Uh, how did I say uh, au revoir, au revoir. Au revoir. Yeah. <laughs> My French is not very good. Yeah, that
2: was fun. What uh, else we, is coming? else else? The, the
1: Bugs Need Heroes show oh, that yes. we re-released. Uh, they were kind enough to provide us the MP3. So that was our other November content. We hope you enjoyed both of those shows. Uh, and that you're kind of winding down your year, whatever field of work you're in that things are slowing down, getting ready to get easy, and that you're having a happy Holly December.
2: What kind of things have been going on for you, Jonathan, in the last little bit?
1: I feel like I just wound down like a real whirlwind speaking tour in Kentucky. I think I did. I don't even know, actually. I'd have to go back and look at my calendar. But I was doing like four or five talks a week uh, for most of November and had ESA thrown in there at one point. So I feel like I, I have returned, I am back, I'm settling in, so I, I'm ready for a long winter's nap myself. Uh, I would say that I'm I'm a little burnt out and tired, but I am excited about today's show. How about you, Jody?
2: It's like that time of year where you're just happy that it's getting cold uh-huh. and that the calls stop. I actually thought my email was broken because I went like a whole day without getting a what is this?
1: Yeah, I know that and- feeling.
2: And then people are bringing in like things from the summer that they forgot to bring in, which is pretty annoying because they're pretty dead. And there's not a problem anymore, except for that they brought these, you know, individual bags of dried up, smashed, headless things or seed pods. Um, So, yeah, it's the time of year where we start working on talks for next year and planning, you know, travel and things like that. So I don't know. What about you, Mike? Mike?
0: Uh, I mean, same. It. I love insects, but after identifying stuff for people all summer long, it's it's nice when they die. Um, it was a weird year this year too because uh, I, and I'm i sure it's the same for you too. Like my ID load, it's a bell curve. It peaks in the summer, and then you've got this kind of drop off in the fall, and then it's pretty dead in like January, and February. I didn't get that this year. It was like june hit july hit and then it was the same kind of id level id load through like the beginning of november so there was no drop off in the fall it just was hard and heavy for months uh and then all of a sudden within like the cold snap hit we got some frost and then all of a sudden there was this drop off in, like i think in the last day I've got maybe three or four IDs in my email and that's been it. Um so I've been able to catch up on all of the stuff that I've been pushing off. Uh had a bunch of papers and projects and stuff with collaborators that they've been asking me for and I have to keep telling them like, no no I'm really busy. I'm so sorry that I've been able to like get back to and write and and put back out. So it's been nice to catch up. it it, it is a relief, I feel.
1: That's good. We hope that all of you are experiencing that same sensation as well. Our our academic gift to you here in the holiday season. Uh, we're going to dive in with talking about something that I know that I get several calls about every year, seemingly, uh, or a few emails and pictures. I just already I've already had one. I think Jody's already had one. Jody, what was your recent experience that I think kind of helped prompt me to think about this topic? Well,
2: I got a question from someone that asked if I could identify these little flecks on their tree that they just brought home. They didn't realize it, they decorated it and they see these little white spots. And so they sent me a picture and it looks like pine needle scale. And so they wanted to know what to do about it. And I am not a tree person. In many ways, right? In many ways. So I, I I don't know. Like, I guess, I mean, do you guys do trees? Do you do Christmas trees?
0: Live trees? Yes.
2: Well, okay. So you go out and Mm -hmm. you cut one down somewhere or you pick it up from somewhere? We, growing
0: up, uh, my parents always had fake trees. Um, I think because live trees are a hassle. But we started a tradition where we go out to the, like the tree lot, pick one out, they give you the saw, you go out and cut it down. And it was like mostly because the kids thought it was exciting. Uh, and we're still doing it. And now we've talked like you know, when they get bigger, like mm-hmm. and maybe when their teenagers are out of the house, like let's just get a fake tree. But for now, they're still young and they still think the whole like picking the tree out is fun. Uh, so, yeah, we go cut one down, toss it in the truck, bring it home.
2: I think that's sweet. And as someone who grew up with that tradition, yes, definitely keep it until they're teenagers. Like my sister, and I were like, Oh my gosh, just pick a tree. Let's go. And then it's not anymore. But hopefully they don't turn into someone like me who's like not a tree person. (laughs) So when this person called though, I was like, well, yeah, what do you expect? You just like took a tree from outside. It's outside has bugs. Like, I don't know. And so like, I really had to think about it and that's why I reached out to Jonathan, but Jonathan, do you guys get a tree? Uh, so when Karen and
1: I first got married, we had a fake tree that we had inherited. But then, yeah, I would say when we became parents, uh, the real tree started to become a tradition, especially since we've returned to Kentucky. We do go buy one and get it set up in the living room. I grew up with mostly real trees, but then... My family inherited my grandparents' fake Christmas tree. And so it was like, oh, you know, you're 14. We don't need to do this anymore. It's just sort of like Mike and you have described. And uh we transitioned to a fake tree. But I I guess I like the real tree more. I don't know why. Uh it smells good. You do have to oh, water it and stuff.
2: That's a good that's a good positive to it. Okay. And then I have another question for you. So your uh ornamental turf is a Christmas tree or those, these evergreen trees part of what you cover.
1: Actually, uh interestingly, I think I've talked about this maybe with Mike before uh 2 years ago I got invited to be the keynote speaker for the Kentucky Christmas Tree Growers Association, which was an exciting opportunity for me. So yeah, they do uh, I do nursery crops for the state and they kind of fall into that territory, I would say. It's a very specialized nursery production and you kind of go out and you see all these trees lined up and the business or the group here in Kentucky um most recently they had this huge explosion in numbers like it had gotten down to eight or nine people I think and then the year that I went they had about 30 people that had come to this meeting and it turns out all these young farmers are kind of buying plots of land and they're trying to put in Christmas tree production but it's a lot of agrotourism it's about they were telling me it's like oh it's about the cocoa stand. And where you're going to put Santa Claus and like an elf village and lights. And then the trees are sort of almost tertiary. Like people are there to get the tree, but they're there for the whole experience.
2: Is it like the pumpkin patch experience?
1: Yes. Actually, when they were describing it, it reminded me a lot of Vala's in Omaha, the pumpkin patch where people go. And the pumpkins, they're they're completely on the back burner, right? It's all about the hayride. It's all about the slide everything cool that they set up there all the
2: food and now they've got cider and every time you go it's like over 150 dollars, and you get like a pumpkin yeah but you still have to buy the pumpkin right (laughs) um so how do you now i'm interviewing you how do they grow christmas trees is it like someone starts them as little seeds and you put them in the ground and then they have them do they spray them like how like you're not surprised that they come in with bugs
1: or are uh, you? No, absolutely. I'm not
2: surprised, but I don't yeah. know
1: Christmas tree production. Uh, So I've walked a couple of Christmas tree yards. And yeah, it's just like imagine a cornfield, except instead of corn, it's Christmas trees. And they're set far enough apart that a tractor can drive down the center of a row. And yeah, if they do need to apply something on either side, they have special sort of overhead or basal sprayers that they can use for that. Or you can go out with a hand pump sprayer. But they do get treated for things as they grow. Uh, Christmas trees are famous for the types of trees that are grown for Christmas trees are famous for pathogen problems and various insect problems. We get aphids on them, lots of scale insects, a new scale insect that we hear more and more about is the elongate hemlock scale. Mike has gotten, I I think you wrote something about it recently, didn't you?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a big problem on hemlocks here, but it also jumps on spruces and firs and other stuff. and it is probably the these the most prevalent scale that i see in any of the samples because they're everywhere and they're difficult to control um and, and they just
1: and, pop up it seems yeah. like yeah yeah you get them and then it, it gets out of control
0: yeah they're yeah and they have unlike other scales not to go off on too much of a tangent but like unlike other scales where you target the crawler stage and that's you know if they're univoltine that happens once a year if they're bivoltine that happens twice a year two sprays you're done uh elongate hemlock scales have overlapping generations so there's no one period or two periods or whatever that you can target the susceptible stage they're just kind of always crawlers always adults that makes it really difficult to control these things
1: wow it means that you have to do systemic sprays typically and then systemic sprays for things like elongate hemlock scale are even more difficult because they're an armored scale so yeah, they, they
0: don't respond to a metacloprid.
1: Yeah. So, you're going to have to use dinotefuron, which is, I think, typically more expensive and usually not the one neonicotinoid that people kind of have in their back mm-hmm. pocket. So, it, that also one,
0: it also doesn't last as long.
1: Right. Right. Yes. Uh, we've got white or pine needle scale, which is what you, your friend, sent you, uh, which they look like white little flecks on the needles, which to me is like that stuff that people used to spray on the tree. Yeah. I thought maybe like it was a, a value added bonus like the scales are making it look like there's frost on the tree. Uh maybe maybe you should say thank you to them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like because a, with like those scales,
2: it with with those scales, the pine needle scales, they're not going to do anything to the tree. It's already cut and they're not going to like they're not the type of insects. Like I don't know if we've even really talked a lot about scales on this show. I actually mentioned it to my sister in Canada and she's like, "I have no idea what kind of bug you're talking about." <laughs> and I was trying to explain it to her. She goes, "I don't even understand what that means." Like, because it, you know. So I feel like maybe we should do a scale.
0: Yeah, I know the scale expert at USDA. I'll ask him if we can, if he wants to do an interview. We can have a scale episode.
2: Because if you're not familiar with like plants and got close up to a scale, like you, she was like, "I don't th- know what you're talking about." What? what yeah, you, you wouldn't think about. it was an insect, right? And so when I showed, she's like, "I don't, I don't know what you're talking about." but um for okay what what trees are normally used for christmas tree you you mentioned some Mike. so
1: like you have the more complex christmas tree production uh group i would say in your state do you you want to <laughs> tackle that one
2: yeah like sure, i can trees? try it's, trees are there yeah it's
0: i don't know as much about the christmas tree f- here so when before i started my position was two positions, one that focused on ornamentals and one that focused on urban pests. So the ornamental guy that was here before worked really closely with our Christmas tree growers. It um, like would do scouting and farm walks and everything. After it got combined and I took on the urban stuff too, I don't know what happened. Like I just never built those relationships and they the Christmas tree growers here never reached out either. Um, it seems like we've got a fairly well uh outlined pest complex here. So they don't need like they know how to identify them and control them, mm-hmm. so they don't need my help so much. Um, so I haven't interacted with them as much as say I, I think John's had more interaction with his Christmas tree folks than I have here in Pennsylvania, even though correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we may have a bigger Christmas tree industry here than you guys do in Kentucky absolutely you do yeah um it's a it's a fairly major cash crop here um yeah. but yeah they've got things like uh what did i see at the christmas tree farm when we went uh color fir and uh tricolor fir that's another one uh cannon. different fir, canon firs yeah uh, so different kinds of fir trees are fairly typical uh you occasionally will see spruces but people don't typically like them as much because the needles are shorter and pointier, and so they, they're they kind of sharp. Um, they have a different look to them. Um, there help me. What there used to be
1: that? white pine used to be a part of it.
0: oh uh, yeah. White Those pine. have long long needles that are really soft.
1: Yes, uh, but they've given way to a lot of the firs. If you go down to North Carolina, uh, where I think most Christmas trees that are bought here in Kentucky would come from Uh, fur production is quite large. That's the one that a lot of people focus on. And then white pines don't grow very well here in this state. So they've focused on the spruces, the pines, uh, the Colorado blue spruce. Cause it has that nice kind of blue, green color. Uh, Scott's pine. There's a few others that people could buy. Like all these different trees have different attributes that people might be looking for in a Christmas tree. You want, good tension in the branches right to hold up your ornaments some of them have kind of wimpy branches and twigs that bend if you put a heavy ornament on there so you don't like that you don't want sharp poking needles that fall off and get caught in your carpet and then you step on them uh you don't want long bushy needles necessarily because it covers up your your ornaments or it's hard to decorate uh there's all these different considerations that go into it and some of them are more pest prone or disease prone or just harder to grow so I think it's a fascinating system because you plant all these trees and like you don't get a crop for several years, but you can stagger it. So you're always in production in some section of your farm. Uh, It's fascinating to me.
0: Well, in different trees grow different, grow better or worse in different parts of the country. So like the the tree complex that we can grow here is going to be different than what you're growing in Kentucky just because, you know, we can grow. More cold-tolerant trees, and you can grow trees that like warmer weather. Right. Um. I so I googled it real quick just to just to see. Um. So realchristmastreeboard dot com seems like a fairly reliable website. Uh. And and after I saw it, all of these, kind of popped is like, oh yeah, I recognize those. So things like Fraser firs, Noble firs, Douglas firs, which is what we got this year. I really like the look of Doug firs, um, balsam firs. Nordman furs, grand furs. So lots of fur. Uh, canon fur, like you mentioned. Uh, Scotch pines. Colorado blue spruce, white pines. Black hill spruce. Concolor fur. Uh, and then some weird things that people might not consider, like some of the cypresses. Oh, um, yeah. And now that I'm seeing that, like I, I kind of want to get a cypress one of these years. That could be fun. I like the way they look.
1: Yeah, and uh, so that actually... I think that that's an interesting tangent because there's also boxwoods and other things that get grown in Christmas tree production for wreath making. So they'll use the cypresses and a few others and whatever you trim off, you can use it. You bundle it together and kind of twist it and you can make a wreath or uh, what would you put across your your fireplace? What's that called when it's made up of Christmas tree branches?
0: Yeah, but not a wreath. I know. what yeah, you Yeah, yeah, yeah. The mantle decoration. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, so before we get into the kind of pests that might come in on your real Christmas tree, um, the one thing I wanted to ask, John, because you probably know more than me, um, the, the you mentioned that Christmas trees have a lot of inputs. Like you got to spray for pests. You got to spray for diseases, things like anthracnose or whatever, um, fungal pathogens. Um how how much input is there like how how much environmental impact is there through say pesticide and herbicide in fungicide applications um can in can we compare that to something like a fake tree where like yeah you don't have any of that but like there's a bunch of plastics that go into a fake tree like I guess, do you have a good sense of the different trade-offs there in environmental impact if somebody's trying to be conscious about those kind of things?
1: Yeah, I mean, it is tough. And uh, I think that those are good questions to ask if you're going to go down either route. Because then there's also the whole, at the end of life of the tree, there's been people, oh, you know, you wasted that tree. Like, it grew all that time, and then you had it for one month in your house, and now what are you going to do with it? Uh, a lot of those trees, once they're done, the real ones, they get thrown into ponds and lakes and are turned into fish habitat. Uh, uh, they're thrown in and or, or some of them are, are cut up and turned into firewood, things like that. So there are other products that come out of it at the end, I would say. One, uh, two, with the production, I would I guess that I have turned to thinking that the real Christmas tree is less of a problem than the fake one. And that's just my personal opinion because seeing these different farm sites, a lot of the pest control, it's not as preventive as you would guess. Um, the ones that I've encountered, at least, like they're more, their pest management strategy is more responsive. Uh, there's not a threshold that they wait for and not a monitoring, but they do wait until the pest problem has sort of occurred and then they intercept it rather than preventively treating trees. But that's here in Kentucky. It could be very different in North Carolina. Or in Pennsylvania, where this is more of a like do or die, this is all you got kind of situation. Uh, so I guess that's where I fall. I don't, I don't know about the herbicide load or the fungicide load. I'm going to guess there's more fungicides applied than either insecticides or herbicides. Uh, they do a lot of trimming, right? You have to shape the tree so that it looks right by the time it goes out. So there is fossil fuel expenditure to go out and do that but I don't have a sense of all the numbers of what that looks like versus a plastic tree, which is all fake. You can't do anything with it when you're done. Like if you buy a new fake tree, your old fake tree, where does it go? It goes to the landfill and it never goes away. So I'm I'm not sure if one actually is better than the other. (laughs) Is that fair?
0: No, that's, I need to look into it more, but that's kind of the, you know, questions that I've been having as well. And I don't know if there's a good answer to it, um, but you know more about all of it than I do. So I thought I would ask, and I'm sure our listeners are wondering too. Hopefully, yeah.
2: I've learned jo- a lot today already. And I have three more questions. Okay. Are all of the trays that Mike mentioned, are those all native to the U- U.S.?
0: No, in short. <laughs> <laughs> um, Fraser Fraser
1: fir is... Eastern white pine is, Virginia pine is.
0: Blue spruce is, but it's native to the west western part of the country, so it's not native where it's often grown.
1: Yeah, but I would say. it's
0: native to the United States. I would
1: say that's right. the wrinkle, is that they're native to the U.S. They're not found typically in the regions in which they are now grown.
2: Okay, and so and are then, there regulations for these?
1: I don't think
0: so. Oh, no. 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 I mean, like blue spruce, again, is super common ornamental, even outside of Christmas tree production. And it's just everywhere. Yeah. Um, in- not that it should, because it, it it grows to about 80 feet here and then dies. Um, because it, Pennsylvania is not a good place for it to be grown, at least now with climate change and things like changing precipitation patterns. We have um, white pine decline here, which is where
1: people plant a white pine for a windbreak because it grows like a weed. And then it gets to a certain height and then they all die. And there's no re like there's no reason. It's just, oh, it shouldn't be here. It can't survive. It did what it could, and now it's gonna die. And now you gotta replant your windbreak. And nobody really likes that answer.
2: Yeah, we're having a lot of problems with growing evergreens in Nebraska. And it's a lot of the I haven't been to any of the, the conference talks, but I see the titles a lot. Like, like are, are evergreens doomed in Nebraska or what's going to happen? <laughs> so, you know, to know that people are it's hard to grow here. That's that's why I asked the question. Yeah. And then when people buy them and they bring them in, or the money that they'll spend to, to save them outside, or the when they bring them in and they see bugs, you know, all the the costs that go into that. And I didn't know if there was regulations because I probably wouldn't knowingly sell someone a tree that I knew had been infested with insects or had some kind of disease. So um there's that. How long does it take to grow a typical like person size Christmas
1: tree person size. So like six footers. Yeah. Uh, depending on the species you're talking anywhere between six to eight years, I'd say to get to that point. Uh, and that's in the ground. Cause some of them they will be in containers to get to like sapling size to put into the field, which may take an additional couple of years. So I, it's, it's a long-term investment.
0: I think one thing, sorry, thinking about trees in the landscape versus Christmas trees and thinking about Like you said, white pine decline, Colorado blue spruce doing poorly here. A lot of that doesn't really apply to Christmas trees as much because they're only living for six to eight years before we cut them down. So like, yeah, the white pine might die in 20 years when it's big, but that does not matter for this system in particular. Like you still don't want to plant them broadly, perhaps in Kentucky, but you could have a white pine Christmas tree plantation probably easier. That's been my experience
1: too with the insects is you just have to get it to a certain size. Like it's not about the tree being a hundred feet tall. It's about getting it to this certain point. So they even are they're They seem more acceptable or they seem to have more acceptance for insect damage, unless it stunts the tree. Then as long as it's going to grow out of it, like you're not going to do anything about it. And I think that that's one part of my conception of why there's less inputs for a Christmas tree than there would be for say, a straight up nursery tree or a boxwood in nursery production, which has to be perfect. And you only get one or two years to get it there, right? You could grow out of some of the damage with some of these trees if they're smaller or trim it out, trim it out. Yeah. If it's, if it's one of your six footers that you're about to cut down, you may not do anything because you know, it's going to get cut down and shipped off. So uh, there's, there's lots of possibilities there. Hmm.
2: Oh, and I was going to tell you what my dad does with, what he did with all our old trees. So he would uh, use the trunk and like whittle a walking stick out of each of our trees. And wow. It, yeah. Looked, that's really fun. Yeah. So that's what he would do with that.
1: Do you have one of them?
2: I don't know. I I do. I don't think I have one from one of our old Christmas trees, but my daughter has one with a horse head carved into the end. Like he's done ones with like, the lord of the rings like a little ball in the cage i don't know what it's called and then he's done like like a fist he's done uh, like a bunch of different things but that's that's how do we do with that you guys are making me feel like i should get a christmas tree that's oh really
1: yeah cool. let's no let's well mike mike <laughs> let's ask jody what what uh she puts in her living room we've we talked about our christmas trees oh, we do uh yeah. jody what is what is the centerpiece of your christmas celebration
2: Oh, okay. First, I want to say I did have an artificial tree and I don't know where I got it from, but I feel like it relates to you, Jonathan, and someone passing down a tree and you didn't want to get rid of it. I went, I saw a garage sale going on one time and I went, took my tree over there and I was like, here, you can have this. And they're like, let me give you money for it. And I was like, no, you can sell this. Keep the money. I just don't want this tree. And I didn't want it to go into the landfill. So another time... (laughs) though I was at the hardware store, I was at Lowe's and there was this tree there. And I was like, Rodney, I want this tree. And he was like, okay, what? Like he thought it was pretty exciting that I was getting kind of festive, but he went and asked and the person came back from the hardware store and said, no, you cannot buy that. That is the ornament display. So it's like a metal pole. It's like the base is metal. And there's a metal pole and it's about this long and it's got like fake like turf, it's got turf on it. And then it has like four different levels of poles. And then these wire things come out and like, it it looks like an ornament holder, but I was like, this is the perfect tree fits. It comes apart. It fits in a little box. So anyway, they said I couldn't buy it because it was the ornament holder. Like it, that's where the ornaments were for sale And so I said, well, what if I come back after, after Christmas, can I buy it? And they're like, well, maybe I came back after Christmas and I said, I want to buy this tree. And they're like, it's not for sale. And I was like, well, what do I have to do to buy it? And they're like, well, when all the ornaments get sold, maybe we can sell it to you. And I was like, how would I buy all the ornaments? So I bought all the ornaments that were 75% off. And then I paid like a couple extra, like 20 bucks. And I took home the tree and I like wheeled it away. And I was like, Rodney, I'm buying this tree. And he was like, whatever makes you happy, Charlie Brown. (laughs) So I have this tree and it's really, you know, 90% of the people that I show or they see, they're like, that is the ugliest thing I've ever seen. (laughs) There's something wrong with you. And I'm like, this, this is the tree I want. It's (laughs) not,
1: I I have seen it in person. It's not ugly. It's. It is unique and <laughs> definitely would fit well in like a minimalist magazine, uh, but it's not ugly.
2: And and that day I had so many ornaments, right? And they were the knitted soft ones. You know, you can throw it. wouldn't hurt anybody. They're not breakable. And that day I went around and everyone I saw, I gave an ornament to.
0: That's really funny.
2: And so it is an ornament display. And every year, if you go back to the hardware store, they've got a new one or the same one every year but not the one that I bought.
0: I was going to ask what they what did they do the following year just buy a new one?
2: I guess. And so I'll be like if anyone wants a tree like mine. And yeah, no, I've never had anyone
1: They just go to an industrial welder and they get a new one made. <laughs> yeah. It's true. <laughs> I thought it I thought it was unique and interesting. So I I wouldn't I didn't judge you or think it was ugly. I just think it's something that people need to hear about because it's different than anything I've ever seen or heard about before. So uh, some different experiences with Christmas trees, (laughs) Uh, some different tree production tips and tricks. I didn't know that we were going to jump into like Christmas tree production today. Uh, Tree talk. That was fun.
2: I didn't either, but that's good. Um, Yeah, I mean, I didn't know anything about that kind of stuff.
1: We talked about some of the pests that pop up in the field. Uh, In terms of experiences, once the tree comes inside, what are some other insects or arthropods that you guys have gotten questions about? Uh, Once the tree's in the house, it's standing there. It's getting nice and toasty. People are putting presents underneath it and lights upon it. Uh, what are some other creepy crawlies that they've seen coming in and out of these things?
2: Spiders.
0: Yep, people have big concerns about spiders. It makes sense. Like the egg sacs are laid on the tree and then it warms up and the eggs hatch out. The, the common theme between a lot of these pests is they're on the tree as eggs. You don't see them and then they hatch out when they get warm and spiders are no exception to that. Yeah, we got praying mantises. Is it the same
1: sort of concept?
0: Yep. Yeah, they're eggs on the tree and then they hatch out.
1: So why isn't this adorable? I mean, we got baby big-eyed spiders looking at things with wonderment, Christmas mantises eating one another and celebrating with cannibalism. Like, why are people freaked out?
2: Because that's just not the festive way they wanted to imagine their holidays being.
1: They don't have Santa spider or Krampus mantis.
2: You know, not everyone has Arthropod-themed ornaments. That's fair. And even (laughs) if they do have that, it's probably, like, not alive, not crawling, not taking, like, not invading their space.
1: I think we'll talk about some of that here in a few when we talk about the Christmas spider uh, and its impact on Christmas folklore. But, yeah, most people, they're not looking for bugs on their trees. So what do they say when they call you? Like, what what are they asking you for? What are they worried about?
2: is it going to hurt me? And should I spray the tree with pesticide?
1: Same questions, Mike.
2: Um, It depends. They definitely
0: want to know, is it going to hurt me? Uh, Some of the other things that we'll get, like occasionally you'll, if the tree was stressed before it it was uh, cut down, you might get bark beetles emerging from the trunk. Um, And so when that happens, and especially when those happen, people want to know, are these going to damage my house? Like the structural timbers two by fours that make up the house. Are they going to get into my furniture, my wooden furniture Uh, and that kind of thing. Um, Some of the other pests like aphids are kind of similar to the spiders and mantises. Like they just hatch out and they crawl around your tree and don't do a whole lot. They might fly around if you get winged ones. Uh, Can
1: I tag in on the aphids for half a second? Yeah. Uh, We had an extension agent that relayed a, a very funny story to us about they were wrapping, unwrapping their gifts Christmas morning and everybody was wondering why the paper was sticking to their fingers. And it turned out that the aphids had been feeding in the tree. And there was honeydew all over every gift.
0: Oh, my gosh. That's
2: amazing. I,
0: yeah. I feel like that's, I've never heard that happening before. It's maybe not surprising, but that's, of all of the insect pests that you could get on a Christmas tree, I think the advice for all of them is sweep them up with a vacuum if you don't want them they're going to die very quickly because right. none of them can withstand the low humidity of indoor situations. Like they just, they just die. All what's, of them.
1: What's the humidity in your homes right now? We got down to 18% the other day.
0: Depends on where you're at. My basement hovers around 40% this time of year, Ooh. but yeah, the rest of the house is around 20 to 30, I think. And um, none
1: of that's good for bugs, right?
0: None of that's good for bugs. They die pretty quick. And there's also nothing to eat. Like, baby mantises need fruit flies or something there's none of that bark beetles need to find a stressed tree aside from the one they came out of which they can't get back to none of that around like they just come out and they die you don't need to spray pesticides you just vacuum them up um so that's interesting then that honeydew is an issue because that could like that is a problem right um and so honestly most of the time my advice is don't do anything don't spray anything. Just let them die and clean them up. So I'm not, I'm not sure what I would advise for somebody that needs to kill the aphids because they're putting out a sticky, gross mess.
1: Well, and you, they, but they didn't even know until Christmas yeah. Day, and then at that point, like
0: the damage to the done. tree,
1: yeah, like yeah, <laughs> and damage is very generous description of you know, but I mean, sure. it's annoying, but like everybody was fine, nobody died. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and if it's on,
0: if it, if you have like hardwood floors, you just wipe it up with a damp cloth.
1: Right. Yeah. And you, if you have carpet, you probably have a Christmas tree skirt.
0: Yeah. So then wash the skirt and then that's, that's done. Yeah. Okay. So even then just get rid of the tree.
1: I mean, I would see it. I mean, if you were putting things under the tree and you noticed it and it was December 14th, I could see maybe wanting to intervene in some fashion, but yeah, like, I don't know, find out where they're at, get a air blaster that you use on your computer keyboard and, send them packing, you know, like yeah, tell, <laughs> they can join Santa as he flies through the sky.
0: Even just if it, if you got like a little spray bottle of rubbing alcohol to spritz on there, like that there would go. be enough. And that's well, not dangerous at all. Christmas rum. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Some mold wine.
0: That so basically sense.
1: what we're saying is Christmas trees are living organisms themselves. It's a, probably a good sign that you have a tree with things that were alive or are alive on it. It means that it's not so inherently toxic that you've brought something radioactive and poisonous into your home. So maybe be slightly thankful for these little multi-legged Christmas miracles.
2: Can you buy organic Christmas trees?
0: I don't know about that one. Yeah, that seems... I'm not sure. I will say the one thing uh, that you may want to inspect for are bird nests. Squirrels? Or squirrels, but bird nests in particular because they can have bird mites in them, and you want sure. to pull that nest out and toss it away in the field where you buy your Christmas tree, just so those mites don't wake up and start biting you. Um, yeah, I've never had a client do that, but I can see I could foresee that being an issue. And it would
1: definitely depend on how the tree was harvested. If you go out into the field yourself and yeah. you cut it down, I that could be a situation where something like that could occur. But if they cut it down and you buy it on a lot or something like that the way that it gets packaged is usually going to forego any bird nest being able to make the trip. So uh, it's more of a, a you pick situation. If you, if you go get your own tree like that.
0: Yeah, for For sure.
1: sure. Do you guys want to talk about some Christmas folklore that involves arthropods?
0: Ooh, can I mention one more bug? Yeah. Real quick. So the last, since we've moved into our house, so we moved here in 2017 and we've been getting real Christmas trees probably starting in that year. In a couple, probably 2018 or 19, uh, every year, and it has happened like clockwork every year, late December through about mid-January, I get these little teeny tiny flies that show up at my windows. And it's like, those look weird. They're not your common like red-eyed vinegar flies. They're not forids scuttleflies they weren't any of the pests that i typically associate with houses so i took some in got i captured some and took them in looked at them in with my microscope and it turns out they're this species astia bedia they're these little teeny tiny acalyptrate flies they're really rare they're there's like only a few dozen of them in collections anywhere uh we don't know what they do. We don't know what the larvae look like. They're rarely collected. And yet every year my house gets them. I I can get you know four or five, maybe two dozen. um, I thought that was really weird. and uh I saw on Twitter PJ Leash, who's kind of got my position, but at Wisconsin, right. He has oh, the PJ. same thing. Hey, PJ, if you're listening, he has hey, the PJ. same thing. He gets them in his house around Christmas time. Hmm. And his supposition is, or his thought, is the larvae might be feeding on something that are on real Christmas trees. You bring them in, larvae or pupae or whatever are on the trees, and then they hatch out as adults. It you probably takes a couple weeks for them to develop, which is why I start seeing them like mid to late December and mid-February or mid-January when they all die of starvation. Um, It might be that they're also coming with the Christmas trees and kind of hatching out, Um, which is cool for me because I get these really rare flies that like I've probably collected more than anybody else in the world at this point, (laughs) Uh, which just tickles me because that's really cool. We've got a big collection here at Penn State now (laughs) Um, and they're so tiny. Like I I have to go to my windows to see them flying like against the light because if they're just around the house, they're so small, you don't see them. So I'm sure that they're in many people's houses and they're just so small as to be go unnoticed. Um, but now that I look for them, I find them every year, which is cool. So not a pest, not a but pest but also like if you if you get real Christmas tree listeners, late December, early January, take a look at your windows, especially around midday. Um, see if you can find these tiny flies. You might be surprised.
1: You might have so, received a taxonomic gift.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Your annual gift. But before we get into the folklore, should we say if you do want to avoid or prevent some of these things from happening in your tree, maybe inspect the tree, shake it out, let it sit outside or quarantine it for a little bit before you bring it in when you're doing the prep stuff? It seems like you have to get it a skirt and all these other things. So while you're doing that, you know, make sure that you're Shaking it out for any things that may be in there. Vacuum regularly. No chemicals are needed. Please don't use a bug bomb in your house.
1: That would be a very, very bad mess to have Christmas morning. Picking through yeah. pesticides to get the presents.
0: Right. Bug yes. bongs are never, like, never the, the answer. answer. Never so. the answer. Okay. I think we're ready for folklore now. Sorry for the... the no, no, no.
1: No. Listen, our show is basically tangents. So... <laughs> just entomologically themed so in preparation for the show today i searched for some christmas folklore we all three celebrate christmas uh culturally and so that was kind of where my headspace was and i found a couple of different sources uh that listed out two different legends that i thought we could talk about today and we'll talk about the history of each a little bit Then I'll try to read through it, uh, either the story itself or the synopsis, and then we'll talk about, you know, what's the folkloric lesson here and uh, other thoughts and feelings about the tale. And I wanted to start with one that I think is quite interesting called The Christmas Wasp. Have either of you are, are familiar, are either of you familiar with The Christmas Wasp?
0: I wasn't until you sent me the prep material for this episode. Yeah, Jody? I am now, though.
2: Same as what Mike just
0: said. <laughs> Same for me
1: until I found it. So uh, right now I am on a website called Gray Dog Tales. Uh, I originally found the reference to the Christmas wasp on the the WordPress site for the Florida, Par- Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Sciences Division of Plant Industry. Uh, it was posted December 24th, 2020, all about the folklore of Christmas insects, and they led off with the Christmas wasp with a beautiful photo from the Florida State collection of arthropods uh, taken by Elijah Talamas, and it's a Vespula vulgaris. Very nice, captivating image. As I kind of went through this, I was like, well, this is interesting. Uh, I want to find some other sources, and I ended up finding this graydogtails.com. So in graydogtails.com, they give a bit of the background to the Christmas wasp. Um, So they say the origins... Start with a folklore collector named Ernst Stellmacher, who was born Steffi Stellmacher, And she posed as a man in order to publish their works throughout the 19th century uh, as a folklorist. The most well-known publication from this author, or one of the most well-known publications from this author, is the Insectin Archaeology for Frauen, uh, which translates to Insect Archaeology for Women, published in 1873. Uh, But they are specifically in this, uh, I guess, blogger or WordPress blog, uh, talking about a publication called uh, "Giftige Insecta in der frühen Bayerischen Folklore from 1865, which translates to uh, venomous insects in the folklore of uh, Bavaria. And it talks about this insect that pops up in folklore that may date back from the 1300s known as Oso Wyka Siga, which is Polish, and it translates to the holiday wasp. Uh, It is a relatively rare thing to be discussed, apparently, today. uh, Unknown except for small traditions that persist in Jutland in Denmark. Uh, We, as we have talked about on the show, are big in Denmark. So holla over to Denmark (laughs) in Jutland. Uh, Maybe you all are familiar with the Christmas wasp. Uh, the Faroe Islands, and then a part of Yorkshire known as the Yorkshire Wolds. Uh, in these areas, there is still a tradition of baking Hevpekager, uh, which is wasp cake. It is a black and yellow cake that you will eat around Christmas time in honor of the holiday wasp. Uh, the original name would suggest a semi polis origin. There are other references in Northern and Central Europe uh, of prayers invoked against the Yule Sting. Uh, this idea that you might get poked and stung by an insect in the middle of winter. Um, the folklorists that they discuss in this article talk about how this is probably in reference to flea bites occurring more frequently as people huddle together to stave off the cold. Uh, and then in the 1600s, there are explicit mentions of a character in folklore known as Der Waspen Koenig, or the Wasp King. Uh, and apparently this is the form in which many of the modern views of the character, of the Christmas wasp, come from. Uh, it has been described as possibly being based on the European hornet, based on its size and coloration. Though it is described as an eight-legged organism, which this author on graydogtails.com says is perhaps a callback to the Norse mythological character of Sleipnir, the eight-legged horse. That is ridden through the sky by some of the Nordic uh, uh, a seer. And then the, the tradition did eventually come to America, where it didn't last long. But originally, it was a part of advertisements for early different kinds of colas, different sodas, in the 1920s. And this is where the Christmas wasp gained a Santa hat. Originally did not have that, but here in America, it was added. And then there was. There's also some suggestion that the first candy canes in parts of America were black and yellow to honor the wasp king, or the Christmas wasp, but it was later changed to red and white because people don't like thinking about stinging insects. So with all of that aforementioned, do you want to hear a Brothers grim version of this story? Yeah. All right. <laughs> Are you excited? Yeah,
0: yeah. I'm I'm curious how long it is.
1: Okay, well, it's not very long. This is one of those quick kind of folklore stories. Okay. So everybody fire up your wooden pipe, settle in next to a candle, and and enjoy uh, the Christmas wasp. A poor farmer and his wife had three daughters, but only one son. The daughters spent most of their time pretending to be geese and making slippers out of the slower squirrels in the area. So the farmer prayed that his son would become a lawyer. Hearing this, the devil appeared to the farmer and said that he could make this happen if the man only took the crops that grew below the ground. After some dispute over a bumper turnip harvest and a passing prince whose dogs had unfeasibly large eyes, the devil declared that he would take the man's soul. The farmer offered to cut off his own fingers with red hot iron scissors, but as this made no sense, the devil refused. So the farmer said that instead he would show the devil where the finest honey could be found. Taking the devil to the woodshed that Yuletide, the farmer showed him a wasp's nest and said that if the devil put his hand inside, he would find a honeycomb better than any he had tasted before. Knowing that wasps don't make honey and that all wasps should be dead or asleep in the winter, the devil still did as he was told, assuming that magic must be afoot. No sooner had the devil inserted his hand than a large and angry insect appeared, stinging him so mightily that the devil fled back to hell. The farmer, who had been merely stalling for time, asked the large wasp if there was any chance that uh, that he could make a wish. And he wished for a donkey who could produce a silver coin a day from his mouth. The wasp king, highly irritated by the devil and this foolish wish, now stung the farmer to death and moved to a crack in a nearby elm tree. The rest of the family then moved to Hamburg, where they became unsuccessful tailors. So it's a short but sweet story. What do you think?
2: When you yeah. said produce a silver coin from its, and then when you were like from its mouth, because I was like, what? <laughs> a donkey's <laughs> going to poop out a coin? This is getting crazy.
1: Well, I mean, there are some traditions where you tap uh, a log boy and candy comes out of him, right? Mike, uh, if you're familiar with some Christmas traditions. No?
0: <laughs> no. There's,
1: there's a there's a log boy. You build him and he he's just a log with a face and a nose and you tap him. And candy's supposed to come out his butt. Oh, my goodness.
2: There's lots that of is- weird
1: Christmas traditions. That sounds amazing. So I, let's let's pick apart some insect stuff first.
0: Well, I feel like this Brothers grim Tale really needed to, like, have a strong editorial hand on it. Okay. There's a lot of non-sequiturs and uh-huh. things that just don't make sense. Okay. Maybe they did to the people listening at the time. But, like... Maybe. I just... The There's... part
1: about cutting your own fingers off.
0: Yeah, like, why would... Like, why would the devil want that? Like, fingers for a soul? I don't think... So. I mean, the devil refused, but, like, where do you come up with that? Um, The, the honey like bit gonna... is interesting. The
1: honey bit? Why is that interesting?
0: Well, because, like the devil said, wasps don't make honey, and they're right. all asleep right now. So where did this big wasp come from? Yeah. They're asleep.
2: And the wasp king? Wasp- the wasp king! Why is it a male and it cannot sting the farmer?
1: No, nope. that too. Interesting point. Yeah. One little bit that I liked was that it went to a crack in an elm tree. This is somewhere that we would assume a European hornet, could, a founding queen in the spring might build her nest. They do like tree cavities.
0: Yep. I, <laughs> the bit at the end, after the guy gets killed, the rest of the family moved to Hamburg and became unsuccessful tailors. Yes. Like, Are
1: you reading it right now too?
0: Yeah, I just saw it. I what why where's that coming from wrap the story up
1: so what did you think about all the other stuff the preamble stuff that I mentioned all of this you know they still talk about it in Denmark uh, holiday wasp wasp cakes all this kind of stuff you ever heard of any of that
0: I've not I would love to try a wasp cake though I wonder if there's any recipes online if anybody's like Martha Stewart has done it (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> so I I did look around and then I uh, accidentally discovered a cake that was a wasp cake as in it was made to look like a wasp so it was a large parasitoid <laughs> wasp cake uh, that I found on Tumblr. I might be able to retrace my steps and find that. A parasitoid uh, wasp? I can't remember if it was supposed to be like a cicada killer or something. it was like a biggin. It, it was oh, a okay. big cake. Uh I, I feel like I may have been a little cruel because m- my assumption based on this is that none of this is real. Uh, I think that this is fake lore because if you look around for any of these elements that I mentioned beforehand that were in this article, mm-hmm. it all leads back only to this article. I can't find any reference to uh, Ernst Stellmacher outside of this article or Steffi Stellmacher. I certainly can't find insect archaeology for women Published
0: I, in 1873. <laughs> I, li- I No lie. So me and John exchange Christmas presents uh, every year. <laughs> that's I so saw funny. that. I was like, if I can get a copy of this, like, boom, done. That's John's present. There are no copies. You can't yeah. like at a-, a books at all. None of the kind of antique book websites that you might find that often have these things. Right. I mean, for a thousand dollars or whatever. Right. But like, it does not seem to exist.
1: Yes. So were you in the similar headspace, Mike? Were you like, this isn't real?
0: I wasn't. I I was fairly credulous about all of this until you said that. And now looking at it. Yeah, that seems
1: this website, Gray Dog Tales. They they uh, build themselves as a weird tales type author, uh, somebody that writes fiction And I believe that they are attempting to make a very interesting piece of fake lore. And the only reason that I feel this way is that outside of this one website, the only other two references to the Christmas wasp I can discover are on that WordPress that I mentioned before from the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Sciences. And uh, that person is real. I did find out that this isn't like a fake WordPress that was made up. Uh, that is a real department within the Florida Department of Agriculture, I believe. And then the other reference is on a pest control blog, uh, Secret Agent Pest Control and Wildlife Removal uh, from North York, Ontario. Jody, ever been to North York? Yep. Yeah. Where's it at? It's north north York of York. York.
2: Close to Toronto, Greater, so, greater Toronto area.
1: Okay. Uh, these are the only other two places that talk about the Christmas wasp. They crib very heavily from this gray Dogtails website. And, in, and as far as like the sentences are verbatim, almost, I don't think any of this is real. And I think that's utterly fascinating.
0: That makes me sad. Cause this seems like a neat thing.
1: <laughs> it does seem like a neat thing. I would say maybe like a lesson that we might've taken from this was like overwintering insects shouldn't be disturbed, but instead maybe it's to not trust everything you see, On the internet.
0: Yeah. I do feel like, you know, now that you point that out, you know what jumps out to me. Um the this bit, um, as presented by the brothers Grimm in 1812, parenthetical note, not included in all editions. Right. And so it's like, okay, like you're saying like this one very specific edition, like you can find it there. It's like but if you go to the one that's on your shelf because maybe you're a folklorist, it's not going to be in there.
1: Right. Can we also maybe use that to address the non-sequiturs that you mentioned, such as having three daughters that hunt geese and the slower squirrel squirrels in the area? Uh, the okay. Devil, the devil wanting to not have red-hot iron scissor cut fingers. I uh, think that's all weird... just
0: like they're trying to make a Brothers Grimm type fairy tale and it's yeah, just like, not there's, working? Yeah,
1: like there's violence, there's funny bits. Like, that's all very, to me, that's very modern. The daughter spent most of their time pretending to be geese and making slippers out of the slower squirrels in the area. <laughs> uh, I,
0: I guess I've not read enough Brothers grim Tales to know, especially shorter ones. Like, I'm familiar with the broad strokes of, say, their Cinderella, right? Right. But that, to me, is a longer story. I, do they even make or or have stories this short in their works?
1: Yeah, and right now I've been reading uh, there's a folklorist that I've enjoyed reading this year, her name is Rosalind Curvin and so she's got three or four books that I've gone through this year, and there's several, like there's one right now that I'm reading, it's about fairies and goblins and I would say this would fit well lengthwise in there it's about this long, and it has sort of the same dour endings usually, Uh, like one in this book, this guy, he frees a goblin from under a rock, but it's all a trick, and the goblin ends up cursing his entire life uh because that's just what goblins do And the last part of the story is and no matter what uh tim turner did or tim tiller did he never was successful he was never married and he died alone which is kind of the end of this one which is these people all moved to hamburg and they didn't make any money so it has some of the trappings of folklore uh some of the sort of non-sequitur some of the weirdness but i unless proven wrong or less proven otherwise I believe the Christmas wasp is a complete fabrication by gray dog tails. And I salute them for tricking other people and almost tricking me.
0: <laughs> I, I looked up the book and the article they, they cite on Google Scholar, and neither has any hits. So, yeah. but it does. Oh, that makes, does I got some, taken. That does does take
1: that. Well, you got to look into this stuff. Like, otherwise it sounds all very official, right?
0: Yeah. Well, and to be fair, you presented it to me as a credulous thing, so I'm, like, ready to go. (laughs) Um, But I'm not sure looking at Grey Dog Tales, had I just come across it, that I would have picked up that, like, now that I think about it, I can see the bits where, you know, alarm bells should be going off. Right.
1: Well, Um, and for me, it was about, I want want to find this book about uh, insect archaeology for women. And I want to know more about this scholar. Like to me, if this person was real, Ernst Stellmacher, if there really was a woman in the 1800s that was posing as a man to write about insect folklore, I mean, that would be in 2023, that person would be like a Tumblr saint, right? I mean, that yeah. person would be an icon. And so not finding any reference to them anywhere else in my, just after I read through the whole thing, I was like, well, I want to know more about this person. Uh, Zero hits except for gray dog tails. Yeah. And I was like, oh, interesting, interesting. But if you're just taking everything at face value, yeah, I think I think you would get taken in, maybe. I think I would have. So I, you got
0: me. I got <laughs> tricked.
2: You know, there's not anything that surprises me. So, I mean, it's not something that I would buy, but but like now that you've pointed out all the stuff, like I'm like yeah, I guess it's made up. I mean, it's the internet,
1: right? Our other story is also made up, but in a different way. It is true folklore, apparently. Uh, although I am highly suspicious after being duped by this one. Um, we're going to talk about the Christmas spider. Is this something that either of you were familiar with before diving into these things? That I, the links I sent.
2: Yes, I have what a Christmas is, spider. Well, Oh yeah, what color is your Christmas spider? Bluish. It's like it look, it's like a beautiful jewel type thing. It looks like jewelry. I can't actually remember where I got it from. But it's beautiful.
1: It does sound pretty. And
2: I love spiders, so it's it fits very well with me. And I want to believe it, even though I don't really remember the folklore
1: story. Fair enough. Fair enough. Mike, do you know the Christmas spider? I don't. What what is your guess? Or did you read everything?
0: I did read through it. So prior to, again, reading through everything to get ready for the show, I had not um, encountered it.
1: But it does sound like it's possibly a piece of Ukrainian folklore, uh, if the Wikipedia entry is to be believed.
0: We know some Ukrainians now, so I could email them and see if this is a thing.
1: I tried to... Track down some of the different uh, sources on Wikipedia and other places that talked about the Christmas spider. Some of them uh, are 404 at this point. The one that I was most interested in is Spider Tail Spins a Web of Holiday Yore from the Milwaukee Journal in 1978. Okay. Uh, I think that could be the most illuminating of all of them. Uh, otherwise, the earliest reference on this is from 02, I think. So I just wanted to make sure that, or maybe 06, actually, 05. I just didn't want to get taken in. You know, I don't want to get lied to again, like I did by the Christmas wasp. Yeah. Uh, And I don't want to cut off my fingers to find out. So the legend of the Christmas spider uh, may come from Western Ukraine. There's also German and Polish elements that other people have pointed out. If you look at the list on the Wikipedia article, it also throws in uh, Poland, Denmark, Norway, Sweden, Finland, and Russia. So I would say, by and large, uh, cold places with lots of trees that do celebrate Christmas and probably pull trees inside. Uh, the first version of the story that I will share is the one that I think is argued as more Ukrainian. Uh, so this is the legend of the Christmas spider. A long time ago, a mother prepared for Christmas Eve. She cleaned and scrubbed her home, chasing the spiders from the living room with her broom. The spiders fled to the attic and listened to the excitement below as the Christmas tree was put up and decorated. When all was quiet again, the little spiders crept back downstairs to see the beautiful tree. They were filled with happiness as they crawled along every branch, admiring the glittering beauty of each ornament. But alas, By the time they had finished climbing through the tree, it was completely draped with their gray, dusty cobwebs. When the Christ child came, he smiled as he looked upon the happy little spiders. However, he knew the mother would be heartbroken when she saw the shrouded tree. So he reached out and touched the webs, and blessing them, turned them into silver and gold. Now the Christmas tree sparkled and shimmered and was even more beautiful than before. Thus, the custom to have tinsel of silver and gold and a spider ornament amongst the other decorations on the Christmas tree was born. That's version one. Got baby Jesus showing up and fixing things.
0: I like that version. I like that. Jesus is pro spider.
1: Jesus is pro spider. Likes him.
0: Uh Here
1: is the other version. This actually, this is the one that I think is more from the Western Ukraine area. Uh, a poor widow and her children are excited to find that a pine cone has dropped from a nearby tree and taken root outside their hut. The children tend to the tree as it grows, thrilled that they will have a proper tree for Christmas. However, when Christmas Eve comes around, the tree remains bare as the family is unable to afford to decorate it. Hearing how upset the children are, the resident spiders take pity on them and get to work, spinning their webs around the tree branches. The children are overjoyed when they wake up to see their beautifully decorated tree. As the sun rises on Christmas morning, its rays touch the clearing strands of spiderweb turning them to silver and gold. And so the family's fortunes were turned around and they never wanted for anything again. So no baby Jesus that time, just straight up nature intercepting and turning them into gold.
0: I like that. Although the bit at the end and they never wanted for anything again, like these, these spiders are really pulling their weight. (laughs)
1: So let's start with some biology. Uh, We addressed this earlier. Spiders in the tree are possible, right? I mean, there could be some baby spiders hatching. Uh, maybe even some overwintering spiders, if they are multi generational or multi seasonal spider species, could be hiding out in the tree using it for some protection. So maybe there's maybe there are spiders
0: that are in the tree. Plausible. Plausible. Yeah, I po- probable even.
1: Yeah. Uh, what about cobweb spiders, Jody? What makes that probable that spiders are in the home? Uh, what What kind of spiders and why would they want to move into the tree?
2: Nice place to be. If there's bugs in there, then they've got food. What spiders would make a cobweb? I I, I don't know. I'm thinking, like, triangulate House Spider. Does that have yeah. specific you want to be? That's a good one. Black
1: Widows, right? hmm I wish that the Christmas Spider was a Black Widow. That'd be fun. But since we're talking about Ukraine, probably. Not likely.
0: I think they have Latrodectus over there. Do they? Okay. Not the same species we have here, but... Uh, see if I can Google it real quick. <laughs>
2: well, you know, a couple months ago, I was walking in the woods, and it looked like these crazy cobwebs were over top of all these um, juniper trees. And I was like, someone is going to call the office, looking at about this because I've and I've got to look at it because I was like, obviously spiders, right? But then I was like, would people believe that? It was like one of those pictures where you see like webs on everything silk and would freak people out and there was construction going on very close by and so all the dust is stuck in the the silk and so it makes that look and they were when I grabbed a couple and looked at it they were tiny spiders and so I'm like wow this this can really happen and it's it's true but I had to see it for myself so I could I mean I can definitely visualize what you were talking about
1: and it looked pretty right
2: to me, it looked pretty.
1: Was that like a June 14th miracle rather than a Christmas miracle?
2: Uh, it was later in the season. It was like September. Oh, okay. September. And I did not get the call, but I did see that picture turn up on Backyard Farmers So the gardening show and the person entomologist who was on did not know what they were, but I knew.
1: But there were Christmas spiders. <laughs> uh, what
2: are some lessons that you think
1: are you could take from this if you were just a regular old non-entomology person?
0: Spiders can get into your tree, and if you they are there, you should be grateful. What are like? What's a
1: cultural lesson though? Like,
0: don't kill spiders.
1: That's I like that one. (laughs) Yeah, I like that one. I was thinking maybe like all creatures, great and small, even the baby Jesus is chill with spiders, as you mentioned. Like, like maybe be thankful for the spiders that come in with your tree. I like that. We don't have to buy plastic tinsel or lead tinsel if it's the eighteen hundreds and put it on the tree. Just let the spiders do it.
0: Yep. I like it. Have have you guys seen some of the the photos? I don't think it would happen on a Christmas tree because it's too cold and you don't get that many spiders. But like the when you get like a whole area multiple like football fields big of like there's a spider outbreak for lack of a better word. And it's just like the whole area is covered in silk. Yeah. Can I like that's what I imagine these Christmas trees look like it's just like draped in like a curtain
1: of silk it sounds beautiful to me
2: right yeah like, that would be cool
1: impervious cotton candy
2: well that would imply that we're gonna eat it
1: you wouldn't take a, a lick
2: <laughs> I wouldn't but it is beautiful
1: uh what do you, what do you think about our real legend our real myth here Jody seems to have embraced it she's got one on her tree
2: well actually I don't have it on my tree It's in my office. Oh, okay. Well, remember, I'm not a tree person, but I do love spiders.
1: You have your iron art deco tree. (laughs) I didn't know if it was on there or not.
2: I would
0: like to get a Christmas spider. now. Like, I don't have one, uh, but I'd like to get one. I did look up on Etsy, uh, like Ukrainian Christmas spider. I thought maybe there's somebody over there making spiders and I could, you know, make a Ukrainian purchase and, and send them some more money uh it i didn't find any so i'm not sure maybe it's not that big of a tradition over there anymore uh or at least not big enough that they're, they're selling their spiders on etsy uh but i wasn't able to find any for sale at least
1: using Just, the search terms i looked for yeah one quick google but maybe if we we spend some yeah time if you on.
0: dive into it maybe you find some Those are the only two Christmas arthropod
1: legends I could find. Do either of you know of any others that I may have missed?
0: Not only that relate to folklore or anything. Yeah. Um, Jody did bring up uh, Christmas beetles in Australia, though, if Mm -hmm. we want to talk about them for a bit.
2: Why are they called Christmas beetles? I don't know. It's a type of scarab. Very similar to all the other ones. So like the larvae feed on roots, and then the adults feed on eucalyptus. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: And Which makes Hina, sense, they can, given they're in
2: Australia. Yeah, they can defoliate the eucalyptus trees. Very vibrant colors. Pretty. I mean, scarabs are beautiful, right? Scarabs
0: are beautiful. But,
2: yeah, but I don't know. I don't know. They're they're collectively called Christmas beetles there. So but, there is it, actually a thing.
0: Yeah, as far as I know, they're called Christmas beetles because they're active at Christmas. It would be like, it's the same reason we call May and June beetles May and Jew beetles. That's, they're active in May and June. So they're like, hey, Christmas beetle is better than December beetle. And it makes sense because that's about the same time.
2: Right. It's like they're like,
0: yeah, like late right. summer or late spring, early summer when May and June beetles would be out here. Uh, but they're in the Southern Hemisphere. And so they're Christmas beetles instead of May beetles. Different subfamily as well. Um, but I think the the idea
1: is the same. See, I would love it if they had taken that even a step further to be like, they're the ones that come in and decorate the tree at night. Since they're scarabs, like they push the ball ornaments around with their little feetsies and lift them up on the tree branches for you.
0: I really like that image. And I can't believe that nobody has done that.
1: (laughs) I'm sure somebody has somewhere.
0: Oh, we
2: should start our own. How do you start folklore?
1: Apparently, you just write something and make it up on your blog, and then uh, people will quote it on the internet, and then you almost trick podcasters. Uh, I, on the Christmas Beetle front, I did see a couple of things when I looked them up. One from past this past January from the Australian Museum titled, Where Have All the Christmas Beetles Gone? Oh, no. Are they having problems? Uh, it says, each year they're asked, where have the Christmas Beetles gone? Have they really declined? What is a Christmas Beetle anyway? The questions that we were just asking uh decline evidence suggesting a decline is anecdotal yet compelling 1920s they were reported to they were reported to drown in huge numbers in sydney harbor with tree branches bending in the water under the sheer weight of the mass beetles you won't see that these days and i've never seen a christmas beetle come to light where i work next to hyde park while public concerns suggest the numbers are also much smaller in the suburbs I found at least five species near my home clustered around streetlights at the southern edge of Royal National Park, 55 kilometers south of Sydney.
0: I mean, that sounds pretty on par with insect decline in the rest of the world, too. Especially with, if they're coming to lights, I wouldn't expect them in downtown Sydney because light pollution would just kill them over time.
2: And you'd think if there's a lot of development or anything in those areas, if the larvae are developing underground.
0: Yeah, then you, you lose all that. Yeah, you lose all that soil.
2: What are your thoughts? What do you What are you thinking there, Doctor Larson? What do you? I was, trying
1: to, I was trying to find. There's a there's an old postcard of a Christmas beetle that I've seen in various social media areas. Uh, not the one where the beetle is dancing with a frog while a fly plays the tambourine. I think it is this one. I'll include it in the show notes.
0: You bring up postcards. My former boss at USDA, Gary Miller loves like turn of the century postcards uh-huh. and ha- like and, and collects them, but specifically if they have an entomology theme uh, and he would send out a weekly email about like a postcard in his collection to just a group, a group of us that like he knew personally and, and thought he thought would enjoy it. Um, and at, around Christmas time, he'll send out his Christmas ones and there seem to be a lot of postcards with like insect themes on them from, Late 1800s, early 1900s. Yeah.
1: I yeah, like you'll one. see them as part of collections called Unsettling uh, unsettling Christmas Cards, I think, or Unsettling Victorian Cards, something to that effect.
0: I like the this Christmas beetle card you sent out. That's fun. Yeah,
2: I like it.
1: So typically not going to see a lot of bugs associated with Christmas, right? Uh, we don't have a lot of insects left at that time of year. Jody was just saying how she likes it at the start of the show because it means less questions for us uh it's also just part of the biology of things so i guess it's not too surprising that we only came up with a couple of pieces of folklore one of which turns out to be completely fake uh don't be taken in by christmas wasps on the internet uh, even allegorical ones so uh tell us if you've heard about a christmas arthropod of any kind we would love to hear about it or if you have started your own tradition of the i don't know the christmas millipede that wraps around your tree uh, fireflies that that create your Christmas lights. What are some other bugs that fit in with Christmas, Mike?
0: Christmas bark beetles that are I coming like that. out of your tree.
1: <laughs> Very literal. I love it. Uh, <laughs> we'll wrap up by saying just happy holidays to everybody. We hope you're having a good year. We're going to have one more episode in 2023, at least, that is going to be about uh, sort of a news roundup. We're going to do a bit of a roundup of an interesting insect stories from across the media this past year. So we had one that we got to live alongside with Dr. Scavarla here with the giant lacewing. And that's sort of what prompted me to think about this. But there were lots of others that came up and we're going to try and round up three of them a piece. And we'll go through each of them and talk about them. So join us for that. And then after that, we'll be heading into 2024. Uh, Next episode is episode 150, I believe. So a bit of a landmark for us. We hope you'll join us then. Uh, In the meantime, if you want to talk to us on the internet, you can find arthro-pod.blogspot.com. We've also got arthro-pod on all of your different podcatcher apps. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere that you like to listen to shows. If you can leave us a rating and review there, it is very helpful. We've been getting a rash of them recently. So thanks to those who've done that uh, and, and left some nice feedback. And you can find us all individually on Twitter. I'm at BugmanJohn.
2: I'm at Jody BugsMe,
0: UNL. I'm at MScovarla36 on that platform and at Napoleonic Ento on Blue Sky. So
1: happy holidays. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you here in another episode of Arthropod.
0: It's time for our insect heroes to put away their nets and pheromone traps. Join us next time. Same bug time, same bug channel as the Arthropod gang make the world safe from poor insect podcasts. Until then. Keep on
2: bugging. Anyway. You,
1: you do have a blue tone right now. I, yeah, I, feel like I I'm I mean. in red tone. Mike is a neutral tone, kind of white light. And then you have blue
2: like tone.
0: Jody is in the past, and so we have to represent that by putting a blue tone over
2: her in this okay. movie. I'm the ghost of Christmas past. Yes.
1: Mike, does that mean you're ghost of Christmas present? Yeah, that would make sense. And so I'm the I'm the mean. Last you're ghost?
0: The, you're, you're the
2: you're the ghost. Your of future, future.
0: Okay. don't.
1: Why it's your grave, Ebenezer.